You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game Podcast. I'm Robert Smith. Today's guest joins us from Flagstaff, Arizona, where he's the general manager of the Coconino County Fair, which runs every September. Ricky Conway, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I am amazing. Now, your fair's up in northern Arizona, and I have a feeling that when our nine listeners hear the word Arizona, they're probably thinking about desert landscapes and saguaro cactuses, but that's not Flagstaff. Flagstaff is a very different Arizona. How is it compared? So how would you compare Flagstaff to the rest of the state? That's, you know, that's a great question. That's exactly, you know, the, the, the what we get from people uh, who, who hear about Flagstaff, who visit Flagstaff for the first time. They're like, oh, this isn't exa- this isn't at all what I thought it was going to be. Um, so Flagstaff, we're, you know, 7,000 feet uh, elevation. Uh, it snowed on Tuesday and it's fixing to snow here this weekend for, I think we're, we're in for like a three-day snowstorm. Um, we, every time it snows in Flagstaff, it's the snowpocalypse and, you know, all the stores, <laughs> yes. uh, People go in and they stock up so they don't have to leave. You don't have to leave your house for a couple I-40 of days. I forty gets uh, closed. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every yeah. Every snowstorm, the the interstate will get closed, and so um, you know, pine trees and uh, mountains, and uh, it's just it is completely different. Uh, and I grew up in Lake Havasu City, uh, so still in Arizona, uh, and and honestly, I couldn't come to a more different place. You know. Uh, um, Havasu being you know sea level and uh, uh, older population, smaller population, and coming into this college town and uh, um, a town that really has an emphasis on outdoors in kind of a, a different way. It's it's a lot of hikers and physical you know fitness and and uh, um, people come here to train and you know it's it's just it is that one kind of it's a, it's a, such a strange, uh, unique place in, in, like you said, in the desert, in Arizona, which everybody right. thinks it's all desert. And, and, right. it, and they think it's Arizona 120 degrees year round. And they don't realize that you guys plummet down to freezing and have snow closures on your roads and schools close. And, you know, it's a mountain town. The closest town that I can compare it to is Durango, Colorado. There's a lot of yeah. similarities between the two towns, small college center. They got Fort Lewis, they get snow, they, you know, but they've also got the activity level, you know, they've got, rafting you've got hiking and and biking and all that kind of camping all that jazz going on i i love flagstaff flagstaff's one of those places that we like to go to get away for a weekend because it's you know four hour four and a half hours from albuquerque and um it's nice and cool in the mountains you know it's the place that i think people down in the valley go to escape the heat is it not Exactly. Yeah. You're not alone. We, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, any given weekend, any given weekend, this place is packed. Um, and then uh, holiday weekends, especially, and, and really it's a year round type thing. Cause if it's not um, Phoenicians coming up in the summer to escape the heat, it's uh, Phoenicians and others coming in the winter to enjoy the snow. And so it's, it's yep. really a year round tourism um, destination. Uh, and it's, it's a, uh, it's great being in Flagstaff because Sedona is 45 minutes away. Phoenix is, you know, two hours if you're driving the speed limit. And so like within that amount of time, you can, if you're take driving the speed degrees. limit, <laughs> yeah, it's a big know, downhill, man. That hill going down is so easy to get 85 or 90 on. E- yeah. Easy. And, and it's so funny. Those, those zones that are 65, you're like, nah, I don't know about that. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. it, we'll see. Um, so it is nice. Uh, it's a great location. I, I've lived here now for 16 years. It'll be 16 years in July. Uh, came yeah. up here to go to college uh, and then 
didn't want to leave. Uh, definitely didn't want to go back to Lake Havasu. Nothing against Lake Havasu. It just, I, I'd been there for 20 years. I grew up born and raised there. And so I was ready for something new. And so now I've, uh, I'm, I love Flagstaff. Yeah. It's a fantastic spot. And it, I think, um, you know, I've never done your fair. I haven't performed at it over here, but I understand it's a terrific fair and it's, you know, it's gorgeous setting out there in Flagstaff. Um, talk about your fair, if you will. When do you run? What's your attendance? Yeah, our fair is Labor Day weekend. Uh, we are the, we kick off the Arizona fall fairs. Um, and so most, you know, like we said, there's different uh, elevations, different temperatures, temperatures and things in, in, uh, in Arizona. And so you have the spring fairs that are usually down the valley where it's hotter and, you know, you get that, um, you get that relief that way. And then the fall fairs kind of head, start with us and head west a little bit more. You get Yavapai, down right. uh, down in Prescott, then following us, you then following that you get Mojave and Kingman. So we we kick off the fall fairs every Labor Day weekend. Um, we average about forty thousand in attendance. Um, you know, uh, between the ticketed attendance and all the the people working and everything. Um, so we're right right there about forty thousand for a four day. It's it's kind of technically three and a half days. Uh, the Monday holiday we we close early. Um, we have, you know, Midway, a carnival uh, with Brown's Amusements, uh, who do a lot of the Arizona fairs and, um, you know, a great community participation in all of our exhibit buildings, our 4-H uh, livestock buildings are usually full to the point where we have to uh, get extra tents on the outside because we have so many entries um, for, for those kiddos. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really great, uh, great event. Um, I have worked for the fair since 2011. Um, I guess technically 2012 because I came, I was hired the day after the 2011 fair. Um, my very first day on the job, I went to my, I got to my desk and the fair manager uh, gave me a bunch of uh, black trash bags and was like, I need to know how many red tickets and how many blue tickets are in these bags. And so I'm digging through these bags because uh, <laughs> uh, they were using tearaway tickets at the time and we wanted to get an accurate head count. And uh, you know, I put my hand in this bag and something would be wet. It'd be like a, a sandwich bag or something. Cause someone thought it was a trash can and no one ever bothered to like look through it. And, Lovely. and so at the end of that experience, I was like, uh, this is silly. We need to get into regular online ticketing stat. Cause I am not going to be the guy that sits here and counts tickets uh, at, at each fair. And, and sure enough, you know, a couple, I think 2013, you know, so two, two short years later, I was able to, affect that change, you know, not as a fair manager, but as, as one of the staff uh, involved um, to help try to move our fair into the 21st century. Yeah, I'm getting get credit. That's pretty amazing because getting that when I was when I do my marketing talks, even still getting fairs to shift to that to the digital online ticketing is pulling teeth because you've got this. Oh, we've always done it this way mentality. So the fact that you were for a small county fair in northern arizona that you were able to pull that off as fast as you were i commend you that's amazing you know nothing does it like motivation and the motivation of getting my wet hand out of those trash bags that first year <laughs> i was like never again and and yeah you know and it's so it, it is interesting to me that that you have trouble selling it because to me i i just sold the benefits accurate head counts no more you know kind of wagging numbers or, or guessing and then basing off of tear away tickets and uh um getting counts of of per hour and, and, and just the, they're doing the comps and the pre I did, I, I was able to right. pretty effectively sell that to leadership at that time. And so I, I thank you, uh, accepted and received. Yeah. I, well, and I always, I always feel like online ticketing any, especially anymore, um, you're reducing friction to your guests. 
And I know a lot of the fairs, I don't know if this was nationwide, but I know for a while they're down, a lot of the fairs down in Florida were doing, um, as that technology was starting to really get developed, they were doing their ride bands through like the local bank. Like you go to your local bank, you know, first state bank or whatever, and buy your ride bands or go to the local Walgreens and buy your ride bands. And I just always thought about that, knowing that predominantly in this industry, there's certainly fairs that are, are the exception to this, but predominantly it's your moms that are making the buying decisions to go to the fair. Mm-hmm. And I always, always thought, you know, you got a mom, what's easier, you know, having her saying, you know, I know you're busy soccer mom, you just got done with work and you got to get the kids to soccer practice. And then you got to make dinner and you got to do this, that, and that. Oh, by the way, could you stop at Walgreens and buy some tickets or putting an ad on Facebook that she's sitting in her pajamas at nine 30 at night, swiping, looking at funny cat videos. And then she goes, Oh, Hey honey, there's a two for one deal this week at the fair. Are we going? Yeah, let's go. Click done. Like which you want to talk about 100%. reducing friction, <laughs> reduce yeah. friction for your guests. Yeah. And you know, I, 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 I look, and I use a similar term, I, you know, barriers of entry, let's make it as easy yes. as possible for people to come in and let's Absolutely. reduce those. And, 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 you know, that was something. So we like other fairs, we do that carnival uh, pre-buy where you get a discounted carnival wristband um, prior to the fair. And it used to always be operated through our office. We didn't have a partner um, uh, operating it. So it was all, it was all our staff time and processing and everything. And so when we went online, you know, that's my first thing. I was like, okay, I want someone to be able to go buy their, their ticket and their carnival and, you know, get it all done at once and, and call it good. And uh, so we, you know, it, it was interesting, the culture shift, because people were so used to calling up our office, popping into the office, getting those wristbands. And so at first we put like, okay, we're gonna put 500 online because we, you know, you only get a certain allotment. So we put this certain right. amount online, try to sell those out and then the rest. Are, and so over time, we were able to shift those numbers and reverse them. And so now we have a lot, we, we still hold some in the office for those that don't have access to technology. We want to make of sure course. again, barriers and we want to, and we want to get as many people there as possible, but um, putting a vast majority of them online was it was a slow process and and it's always been done that way but you've got to move that you got to move that needle and you just got to you got to do it bit by bit and have some patience and and i think our community really uh, uh enjoys it and and i and going back to to ticket sales you know i i will go during the fair and i will go out to the front and look at those ticket lines and i'll just you know, get your tickets on your phone, coconutcountyfair.com and do go right to the scanner. You know, don't have, you don't have to wait in this line, you know, encourage people right. instead of standing in line, doing the ticket booth thing. And I think that's going to be important in this upcoming fair in the 2021 year is just getting as many pre-bought tickets and getting people, Not you know, a QR code. So they're walking up and they're like, oh, cool, bought my ticket. And I'm just going to go right to this person and they're going to scan it. And no one's, you know, all contact free, um, all safe and sound and, and efficient. Um, and so that's that's the direction we've been moving things toward. And I'm yeah. really happy that we, we've been able to do that. I think that's smart, especially when you consider, and I don't know what the status is for you guys over in Arizona, but if you got to go pick up something at Best Buy or Kohl's or a, a store here, you're probably looking at most stores, um, and, you know, the big box ones, at a 20 to 30 minute wait to get into the store. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to be physically distanced while you're standing in line. And so my gut feeling is come September folks are going to be pretty darn tired of standing in line (laughs) to get into places. So, you know, Hey, if you can, you know, instead of having to, you guys worry about physically distancing a line that stretches across your parking lot, if you can get 60, 70% of those people, 80% to jump in and go, Oh, I can just buy it here and then walk in and scan it all the better, 
all the better. Yeah. I think that's, Absolutely. I think that's fantastic. Can you give us a little background on how you came to be with that fair? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, as I mentioned, I moved up to the Flagstaff to go to NAU, uh, go to college. And I originally came here to be an ed major, elementary ed. Um, previous, so I got into uh, the parks and rec field when I was 15, working for the Lake Houses City Parks and Rec, doing after school programs, youth sports. And I was like, oh, this is fun. But, you know, uh, uh, teaching is, is where I think, think my future is. So I come to Flagstaff and then after I think a year um, in elementary ed, I discovered there's a parks and rec degree. And so I was like, well, that sounds like way more fun. Um, so right. I'm gonna go do that instead. So, and a lot of my, my credits transferred, so that was nice. So I, I moved to parks and rec degree. Um, I graduated from NAU in 08 and a, a position was open at the city of Flagstaff uh, rec department. So I started there. Um, and then moved into special events for the city of Flagstaff. So our, my role there was to permit and produce a couple community events, you know, small things, usually, you know, 5,000 people, 2,500, depending on, on what the event is. Um, did that for two years and a job popped open at the county to be a program coordinator. And so our fair is, is unique from other fairs. Um, and there are, there are certainly fairs that are set up this way too, but we are, I'm a county employee, um, county parks and recreation employee. Um, we don't have a traditional fair board. We're not a nonprofit. We are the government, you know, and so that comes with a lot of, uh, you know, positives and negatives associated with it. But, um, and so it's, it's, it's a, it's, and we are, the fair is operated by this parks and rec department. Um, so I got a job that didn't have much to do with the fair. In fact, you know, besides counting uh, tickets out of a trash bag, the fair manager said, hey, can you develop a volunteer program. We don't have a centralized volunteer program and I'd really like to see one. So that was my very first, besides county tickets, was my very first directive with the fair was to try to um, create some sort of centralized volunteer program. Um, but my position was supervised by the fair manager. And, and, and so in my day-to-day -day job of, of trying to create outdoor recreation programs, which is what I was hired to do, um, in which we do archery clinics and summer camps and uh, we started doing culinary cooking classes. So that's part of my job act still um, to this day, I still operate those programs. Um, but then I also, because I was uh, being supervised by the fair manager, I got to learn more about the fair each year. I, I would ask to take on a little bit more, um, started you know, booking entertainment. I asked to, I had an interest in trying that out. So I, uh, that's another one I still do this day. I still book the entertainment for our fair um, as fair manager. Um, and so slowly, bit by bit, I was, I was able to take some things off the fair manager's plate and um, give myself some more experience in doing it. And, and my experience with the city of Flagstaff Recreation, those two years in special events, I was like, God, I really like special events. Like I really, I like bringing people together and how many different moving parts there are. And, and you know, the satisfaction of, of planning something for, for however long you do it, months and months and months, and then seeing it and, and being part yeah. of it and seeing, the smiling faces. And, and so, you know, it's almost like a drug. It just becomes addictive to, to, to see all that, you know, and, and the adrenaline and, and it, there's just so many good things that I get from, from that. So uh, the fair manager uh, got an opportunity to uh, cross train in another department in 2014 and asked me to step in and just kind of keep things afloat for a little bit. So I was running the meetings, but really, you know, reading from her playbook and, and working from, from what had already been established. Um, for 2014 and then she came back to actually run the actual fair dates. Um, but then in 2015, she got an opportunity to leave the department and so they put me in charge. And so I've been fair manager for Coconino County Fair um, since 2015. And then I was able to 
slowly make it my own. You know, like I said, there's so many moving parts that I've, I, every year I'm learning more and more about an aspect. Um, it's taken me a while to get better at contract management and that part of it, and then the, the staff part of it, and then the, you know, working with the, the 4-H community and the partners there and, and, and uh, entries and, you know, there's just so many things going on. And so bit by bit, I've been able to educate myself to learn more, become more of a subject matter expert um, while managing this, this large scale event. And it is a, uh, you know, for, for Flagstaff, it's a pretty good size event. Um, but let's take a trip back early 2020 as awful as that time was once this virus gets into the States, you know, things started to change, especially once the Houston livestock show canceled that March 11th consistently on this, this recording of, of this podcast is the date that almost everybody with few exceptions is like, that's the date we realized things were changing. What are you feeling when all of a sudden you hear the Houston livestock show, the biggest, one of the two biggest events in our nation cuts and cuts and runs like three or four days into their show. You know, like everybody else, we were watching all these events, E3 and Boston marathons and you know, all these things that were canceling throughout the season. Um, right. and, and for South me, by my, Southwest, my day, that type of thing. South by Southwest. Yeah. That was a big one for me. Those were those eye opening, you know, like you said, there was eye opening. Oh my gosh, this is more serious than, than anybody had kind of led on before that we knew before, you know, who, who's to say, but uh, for me, it was that March, I think it was the 16th. Um, you know, we were getting ready to do this, uh, juvenile probation program and uh, with a partnership with one of our other county departments as programming and I'm showing up to work like hey guess what we're not doing that program and you're going to go help out at the emergency operations center for this COVID thing that's happening um, we're putting a testing site here and you know like I would show up and there was already tents and, and already the county had deployed uh, measures to start testing and, and get it get this under control but then I basically got reassigned and so that was for me that was oh, okay so this is like a that's a real deal. thing that's going to be uh, very impactful. And so, you know, we tried, you know, at that point where we're like, okay, let's, let's, you know, we've got to work this process through. We've got to see, uh, you know, what, what's happening in our community. Cause it, you know, oh, well, you know, that's them that's happening over in the East coast. That's, I think that's what a lot of us were thinking. Oh, wow. That New York sounds pretty rough right now, but uh, you know, it's <laughs> New York. Um, it's so far away or something, you know, there's out of sight, out of mind. And so as it crept into the community more and more, then you're just like, okay, um, you know, and, and, and like I said, we're the county. And so there was always that expectation, like we, we're going to, we got to be right in line with our health and human services, with all the policies and guidelines. And, um, you know, we, we need to put the public safety in, 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 in forefront. Um, and so, yeah, I just think that it, once those events started falling and we saw the cancellations, it was, it was a bit of, well, what can we do? Let's let's you know let's right. start there and 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 work our way from that. Um, but it slowly, as the season went on, I was like, okay, well, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And 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 so we had we came up with a, a whole new game plan for the 2020 fair. And you guys ultimately ended up canceling the the regular fair and going to a virtual model. What's it like when you finally make that decision? Was that a decision you and the board made or being that your county, did that just come down from your county health and you guys were informed that you can't have the fair? I don't think, I don't feel like I was ever like informed that we couldn't have. So I, we, we met with health and human services several times um, looking at different ideas. It was okay. If we could have an in-person livestock show with these modifications, 
you know, health and human services, what do you think? Do you think we could do this? And, you know, what, what are the triggers that we should be looking at? So in, instead of making, you know, decisions just based, you know, what, what are, what's the science and what, what should, what, what is going to inform our decision? What is going to make this happen for us and what is going to cancel this event? And so it was through, um, several meetings through looking at the big picture, um, uh, working with our, our fair superintendents. And, and so we always, we, and we, we had to come up with a deadline. We got to know by this date. Um, and I think it was uh, uh, July or August 1, I think is maybe when we set it. And, and what we learned is that was way too late. We should have set that date earlier. So for this year, we're bumping up that do or die date um, by about a month or so, because it was just, it was a lot of, uh, logistics trying to work out at the last minute but um yeah you got to we had to set that date we had to talk to the people we had to look at the same data they were looking at and and so really it wasn't a surprise when we that final meeting happened and we're like okay you know our our, our level of transmission is moderate and no we wouldn't feel comfortable offering in-person activities in that in that scenario and so therefore we have to go virtual um and so i think it, the benefit again of being a county employee of having that really good relationship with health and human services of working with the COVID staff um, in, my, in my role and helping them at the emergency operations center. And so um, all of that kind of helped, um, helped me at least. Now the community, the you know, superintendents, exhibitors, people really, you know, a lot of people understood and, but certainly there were people that wanted an in-person fair and they didn't understand. And they, right. you know, to the point where there was a, uh, a side livestock show in Williams, Arizona, about 30 minutes away, still in our county, um, that that was operating the fair weekend because they wanted to have an in-person livestock show, and and so they they put one on. This little committee of people, uh, mm. you know, had a small livestock show because they weren't happy with us going all virtual. Um, and 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 it was one of those things. Like, cool. I hope everybody's safe, and and you know, we really right. kind of stayed out of it, and 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 hoped that everything went well. And, and from what I understand, it did. And and, and that's. You know that that's I'm glad that it went well and that there there you know there wasn't any um, COVID outbreaks or anything. Right. Well, and I mean from your point, especially since you're you're a, I think whether even if you're a private fair organization or you're county run, you have to do what's best to mitigate damages on in, in, on your side. You know, and if another organization says, well, we're just going to go ahead and do a livestock show. You know, that's they're going to make their decisions, and you got to make yours and. I agree. There's, you know, there's people out there that I think were on both sides of, of the fence with having fairs where there were fairs this year, you know, when they were canceled, people were upset when they were still going on, people were still upset. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I spoke with John Sykes from uh, Tyler, Texas, from the East Texas state fair on the show. And he said that I think it was sometime the end of April or beginning of May, somebody in their media said, so are you guys still going to have the fair? And of course it's May, their fairs you runs like the last week of September. And he's, they're like, yeah, we're planning full steam ahead on the fair. And it was really more a message of, you know, trying to give folks hope that, Hey, we're going to get out of this and we're going to get back to normal and have a fair and do these normal things again. And man, did they catch it on Facebook? They, people were like, how could you do this? And you're not thinking about your community. And they're just like deer in the headlights going, but, but hold up, hold up. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then that's when they kind of realized you know, as much as they want to be gung ho and excited about it, they, they got to have a real good, you know, their thumb on the pulse of the community. So how did your virtual fair work out? I thought it worked out really well. Um, you know, and certainly a virtual fair has a different audience, a smaller audience um, than what would uh, you'd have at a traditional fair. 
Um, I can tell you that we, uh, we entered and, and won awards for the 2020 fair um, by both the IAFE and WFA. Um, so, you know, the, we submitted uh, what we were able to accomplish. And, and so uh, now I can say our fair is an award-winning event. Uh, and, and so that's really cool. Yeah, right. I'm excited Excellent. about that. Thumbs up on that. Um, the, the community, I think, felt safe and supported, um, though, especially the 4-H exhibitors. And so our, and one of the things we had to look at too is 4-H Cooperative Extension had a, you know, they weren't meeting, they weren't having club meetings, they weren't doing their regular operations because of the pandemic. And so it was kind of like, okay, so what's, you know, what's kind of, what's fair and ethical for everybody? And, and you know, because these kids aren't getting their normal experience of, of being with, a, working with a club leader and getting the best of all that. And, and also, how can we say you're coming together in person at this event when 4-H says, no, 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 you guys, you know, where there is no coming together. And so, and I don't think 4-H, our local, I don't know if uh, the, you know, our cooperative extension comes out of Tucson. I, I don't know that they had an established written plan until I think it was July is when they finally had their plan of, you know, two weeks of this, of, with these triggers that then you can run an event. And so we were well out, you know, it was like, okay, well, we, we know that's not going to happen, but I, you know, communication that was, we yeah. communicated the heck out of it this year it was, you know, here's what we're looking at. Again, here are the triggers. Here's the science behind it. Here's when we're going to make our decision. Here's, here are their alternatives. Um, you know, please keep up, you know, keep updated on our Facebook and we'll keep sending out emails uh, just to let everybody know what's going on. Um, and so I think through that communication, through that transparency, people felt, you know, I, I think they understood. We, we, want, we tried all we could to, to look down the path of being in person, but it just, it didn't make sense. It didn't, you know, it wasn't going to work out. So here's the, the, the way to go. And what we did is we, we just tried to find the best alternatives, you know, for our livestock right. show, we went, went with a uh, Walton, Walton webcasting, um, which was really cool because they set it up like a, almost like a ESPN style with brackets. And then uh, one of our superintendents went down there to be color commentator and help make sure that the, That's you know, cool. the judge knew what was going on. And so like kids watching would, they would record a video, they would submit it in and the judge would be in a soundproof booth watching this video unfold and giving comments and tips. And then this person, you know, someone would move up and then those kids watching would see uh, Eric, one of our superintendents there. And so it just kind of felt homey and, and really nice. You know, they, it's such a clean professional look, the production on that. I, I was so impressed with, with using their services. And this isn't a plug for them, but it's kind of turning out to be, uh, they, they were great. Um, <laughs> That's fair. If they did a great job for you, let people know. Yeah, they, they deserve a shout out. I thought they did an amazing job and were really easy to work with. And I think the kids loved seeing themselves on the computer, you know, watch, or yeah. on the, you know watching the livestock shows. So, and, and that was great. Uh, working, we don't put on the auction ourselves. Um, it, we have a non there's a nonprofit in town called the Northern Arizona Junior Livestock Association. So it was working with them on, okay, you know, we're not going to have in-person livestock shows. Can you, you guys need to start looking at this virtual auction and and from what I understand, the virtual auction was was really well received. Um, the the financials were pretty on par, you know, a little bit less than than a normal year. But you know, they were able to get to more of an audience. You know, people right. who wouldn't travel to Flagstaff for that four day, you know, from Delaware or something, they're not going to fly there. But they can sit on their computer and they can help bid up their grandkids. Uh, Thing. And, and, and for my part, I, I, I've been to the livestock auction, but you know, as fair manager, I'm, I'm, I can't stay in one place for very long during the sure. fair. But this year, uh, as I'm sitting on my computer at my computer for those four days, 
I was able to bid on something. I won, I got some chickens and that was my first time bidding and winning at the fair uh, livestock. And so like, I felt like I got to participate more. And, and I just, I really think that the community really enjoyed, um, especially those aspects. Uh, we also did virtual entertainment um, where I was able to get entertainers who were booked for 2020 to uh, submit uh, a little, you know, a video or two, three to five minutes, and and it kind of varied depending on that that entertainer that acts a level of comfort with the the uh, with technology. But we were able to uh, have three acts a day um, where we would put them on, just like at the fair. At 10 a.m. you got this act. At noon you got this one. At three you get this, and we put the videos on all of our social media platforms. Um, and and to involve the we you know we have you have usually the stage acts the musical acts and you have the the variety stage is what we have with the magicians and the jugglers and and so I was able to incorporate them they were our hosts for the day so they were they were able to do a little show and then introduce the bands and and I thought it was really cool I spent a lot of time producing those videos so I you know that's a, that's something that I, I is close to me you know because I I put a lot of work into into getting that that stuff done and I I. Yeah, I, I think it was a great fair. Um, I wouldn't necessarily choose to do it again. Uh, if we have to do it again in 2021, <laughs> we'd much we will. rather have the Ferris wheel lights on. Oh next my year. gosh. Tell you know, it was it, <laughs> it was the best of a bad situation. Um, and I do think we 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 answered the call and I think we did what we what we said we were gonna do. We we had a vendor marketplace where I got some vendors, you know, who who would normally be part of our fair and vendors who wouldn't. And so instead of food vendors, because I really like the idea of those drive up food or having food at the, the fairgrounds, but it wasn't conducive to, to our situation. So instead, sure. I was able to work with local restaurants and they were able to um, be part of our vendor marketplace. And normally they, they can't, you know, Labor Day weekend and Flagstaff's busy. So we don't got a lot, of, right. we don't have a lot of local food vendors. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, we took all the elements of the fair um, and we tried to replicate them in this, in this new virtual setting. Um, the best, you know, we have that playbook. We have it. We know what to do when it, when we get back in person in a traditional fair, of course, modified for COVID. Um, but then now we can augment this virtual one and do it that much better if we have to do it um, for this upcoming year. You know, it, one of the things that I've watched across this whole industry for the year is that as fairs announced on Facebook that they had to cancel, I saw very few people who were saying, Oh man, I really wanted to see George Strait, or oh, I wanted to see the Conjure Fortune Machine, or oh, what about the Ferris wheel? But man, did I see a lot of people saying, "What about the kids and their livestock?" That was a huge concern for our fair communities, and I think so many fairs were able to come through just the way you did. Yours is really you're the first person that's talked about having this kind of this software and, and telecast kind of going on. That's pretty impressive, and it got the kids taken care of. That's so important for them with the, you know, the FFA and 4-H kids and their, their livestock, whether they're, you know, it's a rabbit or a goat or a, a steer or whatever they're selling. I mean, that's, that's big time important for them. So I think that's really fantastic. You did that. I'm curious though, you know, Flagstaff's, what are you about 73,000 in population? Yeah. About that. That's good. That's good. Um, Google told me. Uh, I didn't just guess. I should have just taken that as, as a I'm conjure the clairvoyant. Right? I was going to say, I thought that was part of your act. Yes, uh, all-knowing, all-knowing. Um, certainly, you've got a variety of economic drivers in your area from, you know, Northern Arizona University to, you know, tourism, people coming up and, and camping and hiking and whatnot to just, you know, passing through interstate traffic. I'm curious from your fare, how much of an impact financially 
economically do you have on the, the local economy? Ooh, man, you're asking me a numbers question. I, I'll be honest, I'm not a good numbers guy um, in terms of recollection, because we, we did the economic impact study and I have that information somewhere in a folder. Um, <laughs> I can't, I don't even want to wag a ballpark. Billions number. upon billions. I, yeah, we are the most important thing to the Flagstaff economy. I can tell you that uh, without a shadow of the doubt. Um, of course, you know, NAU we, has nothing to do with it. I mean, NA who? What are you NA talking who? about? What? Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, we've done this survey because we know that a lot of our guests um, do come from the Phoenix area. Um, so we, we, that augments our uh, population uh, for, the, for the event for sure. Um, we know that, you know, when they drive up, there's gas and that's hotel. And, and, and um, I just, I don't, I don't want to hazard a guess as to the economic sure. impact numbers. Sure. But I mean, as for Labor Day, I mean, Labor Day in a tourist centric town and you've got a fair going, I mean, that's, there's gotta be some pretty hefty value because you do, you do bring people in. I mean, when you consider just bringing, you know, you bring in an entertainer, somebody that looks like me that comes in that, well, that's a hotel night, that's gas, that's, you know, meals in a, in a restaurant, that's grabbing groceries at the grocery store that, you know, you're bringing in a lot of other people that normally aren't there to contribute to the economy. So I think, I think our fairs have just, you know, been massively important and we see it over and over again. I think people, I think our communities look at our fairs and they see that Ferris wheel lit up for, you know, like you for, you know, four nights or most fairs, you know, five to 10 nights a year. And then they think that's it for the fair, but we really do have far reaching impacts. I mean, if you look at Florida, they've got, you know, for hurricanes coming to town, they've got the Lyman trucks, emergency staging, same in, California with wildfires, they've got emergency, you know, firefighters staging at their fairgrounds. And um, I just think we play a really important role in our community. And hopefully by the time the summer of 21 rolls around, we're able to have normal fairs. My, my hunch is this year and, and maybe part of next year, we're still going to be looking at modified fairs. So the question to you is, how do you plan for your, your 21 fair? when here we are at the beginning of 2021 and we're still in, there's a lot of unknown out there with this pandemic. How do you, how do you plan for that? My, my philosophy is that we're going to plan for it similar to last year where we also didn't, you know, this time of year, or I guess this time of year was a little bit different, but you know, as the time, as the calendar went on, we, we weren't sure. And so my, my philosophy for this year is let's, let's look at uh, that modified fair um what does what are the modifications look like when do we need to order supplies for that when's our drop dead date um to know um what are all those factors what are those triggers that we're going to be looking for how does the vaccine play into that um you mentioned the impact of of fairgrounds to the community you know like i said we fort tuthill which is where the fairgrounds are in flagstaff was the testing site the first testing site set up in, in Kobe. i think in the state of arizona we had the first set uh, uh testing site set up in Cobino county and it's it's been there ever since uh tomorrow it's moving to Cobino community college so that we can prepare fort tuthill now for vaccines and we have been administering vaccines in a different part of our park so like you know there, there are those kind of factors too we need to make sure our agency our we can we can serve a role in the vaccination and public health and safety and, and support our county departments. And, um, and so that will be another one of those factors coming into this upcoming fair. Are we still vaccinating people Labor Day weekend? And, you know, with those, those timelines and those phases that are out there and, and people don't really know yet, we're, we haven't gotten any more vaccines uh, here in Coconino County. And so 
Um, you know, you just, we don't know. And so, like I said, we have the playbook from virtual fair last year. Um, I just had a superintendent meeting last night. My direction to them was we have two, we have two fair books, one for a traditional and one for a virtual. And let's look at both and let's make sure both are correct. And as the months go on, as, as the, the clouds clear a little bit more and we're able to see, see better, um, we could, we, we are going to have to make that decision, uh, just like we did last year. Right. Um, I know here in New Mexico, um, of course, we share borders, so you're not too far away. We have been, I feel like, almost under an impossible standard to meet from our governor. It seems like every time we meet a gating criteria to be able to open up more, the goalposts get moved. What are you guys looking at in Arizona? How, What level of restriction are you guys still dealing with? And, and one of the things about this pandemic is that it seems to me the federal government left a lot up to the states and then the states in part left it up to the counties. So like the response and the, the um, I, I think kind of, so the response and then the opinions on, on the, the, the COVID uh, pandemic throughout last year were varied. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be part of Arizona fair meetings and, and I'm already saying I'm, we're likely to cancel this. Here's what we're looking at. And other fairs and other communities are like, oh yeah, we're running full. You know, this isn't going to stop us. This is silly. No one's, no one thinks this pandemic is a big deal. People are still meeting. Right. You know, it's, it's always like, it really changed depending on on the community. And then some of those mandates or executive orders uh, were viewed to be like, ah, they're more suggestions. And and to the point of, <laughs> they're in, more like guidelines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, like I said, Williams is 30 minutes away, still in Coconino County. What the what that small group of livestock people were able to do, we couldn't have hosted them on our fairgrounds um, to do that same thing. But it was allowed to happen in a town 30 minutes away because it's a smaller town, different mayor, you know, different people. And, and really, there was no, uh, you know, th that's just the way it works. Um, our governor, uh, Governor Ducey here in Arizona, we've been trying to follow the letter of the law. Um, you know, group, get, we, we were not permitting any groups over 50 people um, at, for any event. Um, so, you know, we talk about the fairgrounds. We, a lot of what we do is also fairground rentals as a, as a department and many fairgrounds do that as well for those events. And so our fairgrounds this year were testing and then a couple bike races or something, you know, it was very small and, and a, a social distance something here or there. Um, and, and so, 50 people, uh, new executive orders coming out that are putting more of the onus onto the organization who allows the person to rent their space to, to enforce COVID and to post COVID modifications and, and to really um, hold the event producers feet to the fire so that there isn't a big outbreak. So we don't have a super spreader event on our hands that, that we allowed to happen. And, um, and so, Coconino County, our position, our policy has been to, to follow, follow the guidance as they come through and um, follow it as, as best to, you know, that letter of the law as we can. Um, but it has been very restrictive. Like I said, we haven't had events. We, my, my job of programming didn't exist last year. Um, you know, we right. didn't run a summer camp. We didn't run any archery classes. Uh, and, and so in the last year, we've learned a lot more about COVID. We've learned a lot more about how to keep people safe, how to modify, how to reduce numbers, how to mask up distance, all that stuff that we've learned. Um, and so I'm, I'm more confident coming into 2021, regardless of the vaccine, um, that we can do a little bit more. I'm hopeful that we can do a little bit more um, without even touching that 50 person number. You know, I don't think we, right. you know, as an entity, we don't really want to get to that 
sticky number that 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 could cause some trouble. Um, uh, but yeah, we're 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 looking we're looking hopeful for 2021. Yeah, my my kind of gut feeling is that by somewhere around June or July, um, you know, if, assuming vaccine distribution stays on on course, we may start pulling that needle back in our favor and be able to start getting some events going. The question is going to be, is that point, is it before or after drop dead dates where fairs have to make the decision? Because there's a point in here where you guys have to decide, you know, are you buying, are you doing that ad spend? Are you making those, are you committing those marketing dollars? Are you going to hold those back um, to use for other, other needs if you have to cancel? Um, You know, Jerry Hammer from the Minnesota State Fair, when he canceled, he made a really great analogy talking about airplanes and getting off of runways. Big airplanes need a lot more runway to get into the air. So, you know, I'm talking to Michelle Richards from the OC fair on the podcast and, you know, OC's 23 days, you know, 1.4, 1. 1.5 million people, their cancellation date, if they have to make that decision date, it's going to come somewhere in the middle to, you know, probably third week of April. And they don't open until like July 17th, mm-hmm. you know, for a smaller event like yours, you've probably, like you said last year, you cut it a little close going August 1st, maybe July 1st this year, give yourself a little bit more space. But even you guys, there's a point where, you know, are you ordering ribbons? Are you ordering awards? Are you, you know, going to spend those marketing dollars and commit to contracts and things like that? Um, so you think probably, you know, June's going to be mid to late June, early July will be your date at this point that you have to decide? That's what I'm looking at right now. Exactly. That, that late June, early July, you know, we're a fiscal year fair. So we, July 1 starts our fiscal year where we can start spending a little bit more money. Um, uh, and for us, the biggest factor uh, last year that was that was a, a, a big challenging factor, maybe not the biggest, was our fair book. You know, that's something that we print and produce. Uh, you know, ideally in February, March for that that uh, Labor Day weekend, we want that fair right. book out in circulation. We want people thinking about it to get either their livestock animal or their you know get get their ducks in a row for for that. And last year, we didn't put that out till we made our decision, and and it was you know it was the best time to do it. But like, yeah, do we want to spend? Four thousand, five thousand dollars printing a fair book that's just going to go unused, and then, then right. that's money that you know when we're all trying to tighten our budgets because we're not making revenues, we're yep. not we're not doing uh, business like we usually do. We got to pinch every penny, and so um, I think I think late June, early July is is gosh, that's the absolute latest. Um, having learned our lesson from last year, especially. So did you did you all end up spending? I mean, obviously you're up until March, your goal was, Hey, we're going to have a fair. And then you get to March and you think, well, maybe it'll just be a couple of months, three months. And we'll be, we'll get, we'll get back on track. How much have had you guys had you committed budget then already, you know, spent dollars at that point when you finally pulled the plug? Cause you know, God, I think about Miami and a number of fairs around the country that were going on early spring that they were set up. Miami was like literally 15 minutes from opening their gates and the County health came in and said, shut it down all their dollars were spent. Their marketing ad spend was done. Their printing was done. Their ribbons were there. The whole, where did you guys stand? Would you have, you know, had you canceled earlier, would you have been able to save money or where were you with that? No, we were, we decided let's hold off on the fair book. We don't know what's going on. We don't know if we're going to be virtual. We, we don't want to put something out there and, or, you know, put some false information out there. Also uh, put, you know, the money out there. Um, right. We don't usually do our ad buys until, after July one, uh, you know, we might, we might secure some stuff, but we don't, we don't ever exchange, you know, until that new fiscal year typically. And so 
we were not financially um, hurt necessarily from those first few months of kind of waiting. Uh, it, it, was, it was, we were fortunate in that we don't typically spend until July um, because that's our new fiscal year. Cause that's, that's, you know, July one is our fiscal year for that upcoming fair that happens Labor Day weekend. Um, and then we have through June 30th, but um, yeah, so we were for the only thing I think I spent, we spent money on were, was labor and trying to manage the database because we show works and getting, you know, getting the, the classes and categories for the fair situated. So I think besides temp wages, we really didn't uh, use much of that budget uh, for good. this upcoming fair. That's good. Cause like, you know, I, I know a number of fairs that of my fairs that I had booked um, several that were, that were on the end of the year, you know, late September, October, November. Um, when I got the call for cancellation, it, they were like, one of them was in Florida. They, and Florida was open. They could have had a fair, but the bottom line, and that's what they got. They caught flack too. Cause it's like, you know, we're mostly open. Why can't you have the fair? But people don't realize they're running, you guys, you run modeling numbers when you're saying, okay, well, if we only have six, if we have a 40% hit on attendance or a 50% hit on attendance, you know, this is what we're going to make. And when those numbers ultimately point, put you in the red and you're down a quarter million or three hundred thousand, five and a half million dollars that you're going to lose by doing your event, especially if you get any sort of funding from the government, from state funding, you know, you have to be good stewards of the public dollar, you know, and if you're saying, hey, we're going to have this event, we're going to have a great time and nobody's going to get sick, but we're going to lose 200 grand. That doesn't make any sense, you know, and that's, I had three fairs at the end of the year that, that pulled the plug for that very reason. Yes, they could have had fairs, but if they're looking at a 40% cut, it makes no financial sense. It's better to cut bait and roll that money over to next year. A hundred percent. Yeah. We, we looked at the same thing. You know, if we had a 20% reduction in tenants, what would that look like? And, you know, when a lot of fairs, you know, uh, we try to do, uh, percentages, revenue splits with different, especially carnival. Um, yeah. And, and so you see it, you know, oh, it's not just on the ticketing, it's, it's on everything, you know, across the board. And by the way, you have to buy more sanitizer. And, you know, we have ticket booths. We always only have one person in each ticket booth. And so that's going to change operations and the flow. And that's going to, you know, like when we started looking at that, the, the, the costs of, of modifications and the reduction in attendance, you know, those, those are some scary numbers. And, and, you know, they, they didn't play a, a, a huge role for us, fortunately, you know, like I said, it was mostly about the, the science and, and what was happening in our community transmission levels and working with our health department, but it certainly was, is something we were going to, we're going to look at again for this year. And then we're going to keep, I think it's going to be kind of part of doing business for the next couple of years until yep. we get back to normal. Yep. I, uh, you know, my, my gut feeling continues to be, we're looking at probably 18 to 36 months. I just was, before I, I recorded with you, I was chatting with Jennifer Gisick, who's now the second vice chair for IEFE and her IEFE event will be in 2023, which I found kind of interesting because that's probably, we both agreed that will probably be the first point where the overwhelming majority of the industry is back rolling at normal, no masks, no physical distancing, you know, full, full fares. Um, and I think we're just going to have to be patient. We're going to, you know, 21, if we can have fares is going to be that bridge to 22, which maybe is maybe by the end of 22, you know, the fall fairs start looking really normal. And then hopefully by 23, we're open and rocking and rolling again. Um, you know, there's so much of the pandemic is just, 
it sucks to talk about because it's, you know, you're talking about people's livelihoods and entertainers that are essentially out of business and fairs that are at risk of, of closing. And it's not fun to all talk about. So let's, let's flip the script here. Um, as crushing as the pandemic has been, certainly there's had to have been some silver linings for you this year. What, are, what do you see as your silver linings? What, what good has happened for you this, this past year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, and it's always good to look at the positives, look at the bright side. I, I feel like, um, you know, I've gotten a lot more time with my son. Uh, we're both home. He, he hasn't been in school uh, in, up here in Flagstaff. March uh, 16th was also spring break. And so that was their last day of school for the last school year. And they haven't been back since. It's all virtual. Yep. We, we, we've been all online. So um, he and I have gotten a lot of time together and that's always nice. Um, and he gets to see me more in, in the work element, which is always, you know, it, I think the days of bringing your kid to work, they don't happen as much as, as they used to. I think uh, just in general, it, not pandemic aside. So like he didn't come to my office a lot to see me right. do my thing. He'd come to the fair and, and he didn't really get it. But I, I do think time with my kid is, is the first one. Um, I do, I do appreciate the shift in, in technology. You know, I'm, I've always, I feel like I've been a, a, a technological kid. I grew up uh, my first computer in 1995 and you know i don't i've been on a computer ever since um and i've always i've always been drawn to that and so um being able to for me utilize a lot of my hobby so i built like i said i made all those videos i did all the graphic design for our fair i was able to use skill sets that i haven't used in a while that are just kind of fun for me little hobbies or things and so i was able to pour a lot of myself into this year's fair and kind of scratch a creative itch you know because fair manager, you're managing, you're, you're not necessarily right. doing as much. And so I was able to do a lot. And through that, I was able to learn a lot, um, you know, weaknesses or, or opportunities to improve things in our processes or, or who, and, and, and who does what and, and working those partnerships getting, I feel like the partnership between our department and 4-H uh, has been really, has been strengthened by this um, because we worked really closely together this year and in communication and in planning um, I think, you know, uh, I think there has been some good, um, I was going to say physical fitness, but no, I, that was the opposite. I was, uh, I was <laughs> I, uh, yeah, you're I'm me. only just now kind of figuring, I, I just got a spin bike. I'm like, all right, 2021, I'm gonna, you know, I got, I got a little spin bike. I've been trying to do that more, but, uh, I was, were you like me? Did you gain the COVID-19? Oh, at least. Yeah, no, I, yep. I was all, I'm all sorts of flabby right now. It's not fun, um, but <laughs> no, it's and, not. There's not really a lot of motivation. I'm not seeing any. I'm not seeing anybody out in the world, and so uh, yeah, that's fine. You, know, you can't tell on camera, right? Right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I have a special camera. It, it takes off ten pounds. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah uh, I think I think that that kind of highlights some of the good um, uh, that I, I experienced. Um, yeah, there, there's been a lot of change. There's been a lot of a lot of things um, in the last year uh, for our department, and and through that, I was able to, you know, personally, I was able to step up. I think, you know, and, and show people and within my organization, uh, you know, our commitment to public safety, our commitment to the community, our priority in the 4-H uh, livestock. So I, I think our response, my response, um, our response as a department, um, really. Uh, I feel like that was a positive. I think we responded really well. I think we did the right steps. And I, I, I feel really good about, about everything that happened in that regard. I would have loved a person, an in-person fair, but you know, again, best yeah. of a bad situation. Has this year and dealing with this pandemic taught you anything about yourself? Um, 
I'm sure it has. Uh, <laughs> I stumped you on that one. <laughs> you, yeah, you're asking some good questions. I love it. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm by myself a lot. I'm, I'm at home. I'm, I, I've learned that I've always considered myself an introvert, a bit of a homebody um, in, my, in my life. But I, I, I've learned that I really need that balance. And the reason that I, I really valued coming home and recharging and, and didn't really want to go out and go, you know, go out for drinks all the time was, was because at work I was satiated. I was satisfied with, with meetings and, you know, all the, uh, this meeting could have been an email stuff. I kind of, you know, I'm like, okay, now I want the meeting. I want to go back into, right. you know, I hired a virtual, I, I never thought I would, you know, when we first got started, I was like, heck yeah, I'm going to be able to work from home. Look at all this great stuff we're able to do. I'm ready to go back in the office. I was ready. You know, I'm, I want to have a doorway conversation with a coworker. I want to, you know, just pop in and, 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 and have an in-person meeting when, when you're, when you've conducted so many meetings on Zoom and on Teams, um, and only one person can talk at a time, and uh, and you can't have little breakout conversations, you can't, you know, you can't really, you don't get the same energy, and you don't get the same ideas, and you don't get the same input, and and so like really, it put a value to me on that in person, that personal interaction. Um, walking around the fairgrounds in August, I, you know, it made me sad. I was like, this is this should be full of life and vibrant right now, and and so like, yeah. I think it just taught me how much I appreciate things that I didn't really appreciate, you know, like, oh, okay, I, I need to, I need to have a better outlook on, on some of, on some of these things, because it, when it gets taken away from you, you realize like how important it is to, to have um, that kind of interaction, those social uh, interactions. I agree. And man, it got taken fast, not yes. just our fairs, but it's like, you know, so many of us, I think as social creatures, even the introverts, there's a level of social interaction that is that is beneficial for all of us for our mental health you know so it's like okay you know at first i was thinking um you know we're gonna lose some fares they're not gonna happen this year well that sucks and then i'm like that's okay because i've still got my thing i can still go to the gym i can still go to the movies i can still, and then all that went away and it's like well i can go out to dinner at my friend's restaurant and then that went away and i'm sitting here going you're telling me that someone like myself, who is the opposite of you being an extrovert, I'm now supposed to be locked up and told stay inside. And mm -hmm. it was physically painful for a lot of this year. Honestly, doing this podcast, there's a selfish element to it, if I'm being honest, because it gives me an opportunity to talk and interact with all of my friends and whether they're entertainers or fair managers or marketing people that and connect with my my fair family again, and at the same time give value to so many others that are listening. Um, but I will tell you this: as someone who you being an introvert, I have a new respect for you as an introvert, because I used to growing up being the social butterfly. You know, I'd go whether it was a school dance or a church event or or a, a party in college or whatever. I would look at introverts that were just sitting, you know, paralyzed on the wall, like, "Oh my God, what am I doing here?" And I'd always say, oh, lighten up. It's just a party. Relax, have a drink, have a good time. And I didn't realize what that does to an introvert until I was being an extrovert, got locked up. And it was like, my spirit has been crushed this year. And I now have new respect for people that are introverts who are uncomfortable in social situations. Here's my thing. If you're an introvert and you're an uncomfortable in a social situation, you do what you got to do. If you need to not go, don't go. If you need to just step out, you step... I, I have real respect for, cause now I've seen the other, I've the shoes on the other foot now and I'm the one feeling uncomfortable. So 
Well, you see me at convention, you know, usually at Arizona fairs, I have a group of two or three people that I, I usually, you know, that I'm comfortable with and that we chat and I'll go right. and I'll, I'll do my part. And I, I you know, networking and, and people like I can turn it on, but gosh, darn it, does it drain me. And, and I yes. would much rather just stick with the few people that I know and I get along with and I don't have to go outside of that little bubble. And, but there's, there's, there's some real, you know, there could be some real damage to that because you know, it's perception and there's that, the, you know, like, oh, he's so standoffish or he doesn't like me or right. whatever it might be. But it's like, no, no, I just, I, I feel so much more comfortable just in this little group. And, and uh, you know, I went to my friend's house recently to watch a football game. And it was the first time I've seen this friend since June. And I was like panicked the whole time. I was like, I don't like this. And, you know, I should be wearing my, <laughs> you know, I wear my mask to come in. But then after a while, there's that social element of like, okay, well, he's not really wearing a mask. And I feel kind of weird wearing this mask. We're talking a lot. And like, I think we're far enough apart. I'm sure this is fine. But like the entire time in the back of my head, I'm just like, I'm gonna get COVID. This is going to be terrible. This is and it. So, like, we're all going to die. Yeah. Over a you know, football game. so much stress. And, and, and it's like, I don't like that at all either. And so I, I'm going to, I think I'm going to, I'm going to come out of this feeling maybe a little bit more comfortable or maybe a little bit more appreciative of those situations where I can be out and talk to people and have those interactions without kind of having this, that voice in the back of my head kind of panicking. Well, I, I tell you what, it made clear to me. And I think for a lot of us in the industry that we took a good thing for granted. We we've had, you know, since 2008, you know, with the exception of 2008, you know, 2009, 10, 11, for sure we had real great success in this industry. And I think a lot of that comes from coming out of the financial market meltdown. We had people that went, you made the decision, we're not going to spend, you know, five or $6,000 on a big vacation to Disney world or something this year. Um, you know, we're going to stay closer to home and do more staycation stuff. And that included maybe going to the, going to the fair once if they didn't usually go or going twice, if they typically went once. And I think we've had a decade of really good economic growth. And then all of a sudden, you know, we all kind of got punched in the face and it was like, oh, yeah, we need to maybe be more appreciative of, of the people around us and the events that we put on. I can tell you this, the, the one fair that I got to this year, the Ferris wheel looks just a little bit different. It was, I looked at it and there's this moment where, like, I, I didn't get emotional, but there was a bit of an emotional moment where it was like, those lights are still on. And as long as those lights are still going, this industry still has a pulse. We've still got a heartbeat. You know, I think by the time as everything shakes out, we may contract. There may be some fairs that go away, if not for good, for at least for a few years. But by God, if there's still a Ferris wheel lit up somewhere, we've still got an industry, and I think it's worth saving. I think it's worth taking this deep breath and working through it and figuring out if that means we wear a mask, as awkward as it is, let's wear a mask. Let's make sure we're safe, and this will this will shake out. You know, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, and like I've said before, we made it through 1918. We made it through World War II. We made it through Vietnam, through the financial crisis, through 9-11, through all these things. We'll make it through this. It's just going to require some patience. Well, and shoot, look what happened. What followed up 1918 was the Roaring 20s. You know, not only was it bouncing back, but it was like, all right, we're going hog wild now. We missed yeah. this and we're, we're, we're having fun. And so I think, you know, I, I think there's certainly going to be those kind of a bridge year of, of a little bit, you know, this, if we do run this fall, it will be that modified fair, probably a little bit less, uh, less attended, attended. But in, once people start feeling safe again, whenever that is, and yeah, I think your timeline's probably pretty, I think by fall of 23 or 22, you know, our, our fair will be 
pretty close. Um, and I yep. think people are going to be excited. As long as they feel safe, they're going to be coming. And, and yes, there still could be a few modifications, but I think it would be, you know, we're already at the point where we have sanitizer stations everywhere because there was a salmonella breakout from our fair a couple of years ago. And so right. that became a new part of our fair was, okay, we have signage, we have sanitizer everywhere. We're always encouraging it. Right. You know, we even had health and human services giving our school's day kids a talk about sanitizer um, <laughs> because, you know, and so it's like, we, you know, that's always going to be part of our fair. And I just think, uh, yeah, we're going to, people are going to come back. People that I do, I do Peloton on my bike. And I think almost every class, you know, because it's all music and they're always like, Oh, I miss concerts. I can't wait till I, you know, I saw them in concert. I can't wait till concerts. Yep. And so I, I think, uh, yeah, we're, we're in for a couple, you know, a couple more tough years. We're tighten the belts a little bit more, a little bit uh, as, as we move, but soon soon enough people are going to be so excited to come back to us yeah and, and isn't it you know you mentioned that you you guys were a little more prepared because you did have that salmonella outbreak but isn't that the industry like does it drive you crazy knowing that of all industries we've dealt with swine flu we've dealt with avian flu we've dealt with salmonella outbreaks like our industry is primed for protections against diseases like we know how to do it and yet the mall can open, Walmart can open, Disneyland or Disney World can open, theme parks can open, and we're sitting here getting told no. And it's like, we wrote the book on how to respond to disease outbreak, and yeah, we're being no, told no. Right. Yeah, we, we really, you know, we've responded to everything, and that, yeah, you're, you, you nailed it on the head. That is crazy. Uh, and, you know, yeah, we've had those conversations. We had them last year, you know, we're an outdoor event, and, you know, but there, there are aspects, you know, those buildings that we house are, are, our stuff in the, the community entries, um, you know, those aren't necessarily, you know, they're barely ADA because they've been around right. forever. And some so, of these that are really old buildings, you yeah. know, and exactly. And so there are, there are limiting factors here or there, but uh, you know, I do think the fair industry is great at responding, you know, Oh, this happened on our watch. It won't happen again. We are going to fix this and here's how we're going to fix it. And so um, that's where I think fairs, likely are likelier to open with these modifications. I saw, I, uh, I have a Google alerts for anything, anytime county fair is said on, you know, in, in, the, in the world um, and Manatee County Fair is running. And so I'm watching their news videos yep. and seeing like, how are they promoting this? What is their messaging? What kind of do, things are they doing to, to keep people safe? Because that's what we all gotta be doing right now is looking at these examples of, of how it's working, what their messaging is, who their partners are, like what are they doing well and emulating that and trying to trying to make that happen in our own communities. Yeah, I agree. And I, I've asked other guests about, um, you know, what's going on down in Florida with Manatee running and South Florida fair doing a modified fair. And, you know, there's, there's so few fairs on the front end of the year between, you know, now and say May, somewhere around May, the floodgates open and California gets in the game and everybody starts rolling. I don't know that California will this year, but I know for sure those early fairs, Florida, Texas, uh, maybe, you know, the spring fairs that are in Arizona, the everybody else in the industry is going to be watching y'all and seeing what's going on and, and how are they mitigating and were they able to mitigate? And then the big question is what happens in that 14 to 21 days after the fair closes? Do we see a considerable spike in cases or is there no discernible increase? And, you know, we're all watching that and kind of, I think we're holding our collective breath <laughs> on what's Absolutely. going to go down. I think it was in June, there was an affair in Ohio, I want to say, and I remember the, the article, the, the article was leaned toward, hey, they ran a fair and there was a huge outbreak. And you read the article and it's like, now the fair and the health department are fighting because they're like, you didn't tell us there was that, you know, like, it's right. kind of turning them against each other. Um, 
and and but that was one of those things like i didn't want to be one of those fairs that was on cnn for hosting a fair and having that big outbreak um but at the same you know you yeah it, it's that headline test is what you know what most of us call it what does that pass the headline test did we exactly do but well and we had we had courtney conkle on early early in the season back in uh, i think in november and you know wyoming ran wyoming state fair ran and and were they were fully open they had some mitigation strategies and they they shattered records and that's fantastic that you you have that you know level of your admission is up that much 100 and i think she said 25 29 something like that so that's huge but it's all for naught if in two weeks later you've got ten thousand cases that are getting somehow traced back to the fair and in their situation she was they were very lucky i think they there were none in fact i think she indicated that their curve actually dropped in the two to three weeks after the fair not that that's you know, you know, causation or anything like that. But as I told her, I said, the risk for fairs that do run like Wyoming is, let's just say you have an outbreak of two, three, 5,000 cases that have nothing to do with the fair. That's not what the headlines are going to say. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. You can, it's not going to matter what the facts are. You could be like, yo, we had, it was just a a freak outbreak in a different part of the state. And people are going to go, well, did anybody go to that fair? I bet that fair had something to do with it. And it's, you know, it's like the old, you know, with the, the old adage that, you know, if you have a, a, a crime that takes place, a robbery that takes place three blocks from the fairgrounds, the news is going to be like, oh, there was an armed robbery right down the street from the fair. <laughs> and people mm-hmm. are going to be like, oh, that fair is just not safe to go to. Yep. It has nothing to do with the fair, but God, the media sometimes is like, could you leave us out of it? <laughs> well, you, you don't say it's right down the street from the 7-Eleven. Nobody cares, but oh, by God, it was right down the street from the fair. And so even if, if Courtney had had an outbreak or you guys had had a fair and there was an outbreak, even if it had nothing to do with the fair, people are still going to blame Perception. the fair. Yep. They're yeah, I know. Blame it. It, it, that's exactly it. Um, and, and, and yeah, who, who knows if what, where that other, where that person also went, uh, besides just the fair, um, and, and with the number of cases, you know, there's hundred, I, I think there's triple digit new cases in Coconino County almost every day at this point, we're getting, you know, with all the testing we're doing, we're, we're every day, there's like a hundred, 200 new positive cases. And so, yeah, that there's just no telling where these, where it's happening. And so, but you're right. It would be absolutely, it would be like, well, okay, we had an outbreak and this event was going on. So logic says that those two things are connected. And so that's what we're sure. going to say. And, and, and we can't, there's nothing we can say against it. Nuh-uh. Right. And in you a know, small it's... town, I mean, for all, you know, somebody had a quinceanera or something that everybody in the family was in and that's what did it, but it ain't going to matter because the public decides the public perception is reality for in our industry. And, you know, I, one of the guests we had on um, that I just recorded with yesterday is actually, she's an attorney. She's got a law degree. She never practiced law, but she um, she kind of uses her knowledge, her legal knowledge with her fair, and that's super helpful. That's really good. And as we talked about, there's really no true way to unequivocally prove that someone contracted the virus at a fairgrounds. Because any attorney is going to stand up and say, well, did you go to the grocery store? Did anybody in your family go to a grocery store? Did you, there's no way to prove it. And that's what we've had a lot, several entertainers that have been like, fair shouldn't worry about that, that aspect, because you can't prove that it came from the fair. And my thing, as I spoke with this attorney, fair manager slash attorney about was, you may not be able to prove it, but the fair still has to spend money to try and defend that. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where that will, you know, a trial lawyer is going to bleed you dry trying to prove that case. Mm-hmm. So it, then it becomes easier to just settle. And my thing is nobody wants to be the one who's in the jackpot for that. It's much easier to cut bait and say, you know what, we'll try again next year than to risk being in the jackpot for that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, can I, that's one thing I love about this industry, by the way, that fair managers come from all different walks of life. You know, I'm a parks and rec person. You're speaking to an attorney. I know several fair managers who have financial backgrounds. And that's one of the coolest things about the fair industry is that people in positions uh, in charge uh, come from these wildly different areas. And so I I bet that's one of the very interesting things with you doing this podcast and talking with all these people is finding out, you know, how, how you get here is so different. You know, some are livestock, um, some, you know, it's just, it just, it just varies and it depends on the community. Sometimes it's all in the family. Sometimes it's just, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, that is so interesting about this industry. Uh, that yep. people with I, can, I can tell you, um, Jennifer Giesick, who I just recorded with, you know, about three hours ago. And, uh, I think she's coming up here, uh, beginning February 5th. So by the time you're this episode airs, it, it, Jennifer's episode will already be out. I was fascinated to find out that she had um, her background is in get this turf management. And I was like, what is that? She literally started, she, she started her career um, as a turf manager for a golf course. And I was like, like, if I'm thinking, you mean you mow the grass or, but then you really think about it. They've got acres upon acres upon acres, hundreds of thousands of acres um, of grass that they've got to keep healthy. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of interesting. And she said, I guess there's a, um, a school that's not far from her that they've got people that have gone and trained and gotten this degree. It's literally a degree in turf management. And they've gone on to work for like Fenway park Bush stadium. And you think about that, you know, and you know, we talked specifically about major league baseball and how the outfield grass, it's always cut in these geometric patterns and She's like, yep, they learn all of that. And that's turf management people that know that. That's not just some random dude that knows how to mow the grass really well. And I'm going, wow. And you ended up as a fair manager in the the head of their, because their fair, Washington Town and Country in Missouri, is run by their Chamber of Commerce. It's their Chamber of Commerce um, fundraiser. And so she's not only the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce, she's the fair manager, and she knows how to cut grass like nobody's business. That is wild. Yeah. I would never have thought that. There's, you're right. There's so many people with so many amazing stories and backgrounds in this industry. And, you know, from someone like you who you're like, I'm a parks and rec manager and I run my fair. Um, you know, Caitlin, who I was speaking with out in Sonoma County, who is the attorney or someone in Missouri who really can cut grass like there's no tomorrow. So I'm like, that is awesome. That really is so cool in this industry. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that about our industry, the different uh, perspectives and, and backgrounds. Um, I can tell you, I, I used to drive the Zamboni when I worked for the city of Flagstaff. But my you are my time. new hero. Sarah strength, will love so. you. Yeah, I'm going to tell Sarah that. that. That, that was fun, you know, uh, learning. That, that was something, I think that's what got me my job at the county is uh, sitting in a room uh, full of people. And and I, when I said that, all the men in the room were like, what? You drove the Zamboni? Tell me more about that. It was like, Legendary. have a throwaway That'd be like thing. saying I was a pace car driver for the Indy 500. Like, that's a big deal. That's the Zamboni I mean, driver. I guess if you're, uh, if you're, equating a local public ice skating rink you know if i was down in the phoenix coyote stadium i think i'd maybe put a little bit, bit bigger feather in my cap but doing this little uh nobody little- has to know you're a zamboni driver and literally you can make it so big when people are, you used to drive a zamboni did you ever drive for any 
actually contractually, I'm not allowed to yeah. say who I drove the Zamboni for. Yeah, I got an NDA. <laughs> the big story. <laughs> That's cool though, man. The Zamboni driver. Sarah's always said um, whenever we've had hockey games on or, or whatnot, she's like, I want to just drive the Zamboni. That's all I want to do. You are a rock star for public ice skate sessions when you're driving that Zamboni um, mm-hmm. and, and you get, because to- the first thing you do is you do two laps around the outside right by the glass. And so they're pounding on the glass. They're all excited. You're honking the horn and giving high five, but you are like a, a celebrity. And you're the just downside- some dude making like, you know, yeah. squat 50 an hour to drive around in circles. But by God, right. it's the Zamboni. It's a Zamboni. It's an event. Everybody has to get off the ice. What else are you going to do? You're going to watch the Zamboni. And, uh, and well, so- you have to make it like someone, I mean, doesn't the NHL make it? I'm not a big hockey fan, but don't they kind of make it when the Zamboni's out there somewhat of a show? Like it's a I guest experience thing. I believe they do. I've never been to a professional hockey game in person, um, but from what I understand it, it, yeah, it's more of, it's an event. I'm sure people get up and go to the concessions and stuff, but right. I think down there, they have two Zambonis that go like at the same, it's, it's probably like a synchronized swimming event or something like that. It's, it must That's be pretty so cool to cool. watch. So cool. I've wasted my life getting in a fortune box and giving people silly fortune <laughs> cards. I could have been a Zamboni driver or a professional uh, a turf expert that designs grass patterns, you know, for major league baseball. Yeah. Uh, who knew these were jobs and, and degrees and fields? Yeah. It's like when I learned a parks and rec degree, I was like, you need a degree in parks and rec. And, and, you know, even recently learning there's degrees for librarians. I was like, I feel like I could be trained yep. on how to be a librarian in a couple of weeks. Library sciences. Degrees. And yeah, yep. like it is, it is an involved thing. And I bet people would say like, you have a degree in parks and rec. What do, what do you do? Like, what that silly? Like it's just creating games or something. It's like, no, there's, there's a lot of science there's and a lot, lot of, of event lot planning of and, and reasoning behind it. Yep. You know, and uh, yeah, so again, just appreciate the diversity in our field uh, more more than anything, I think, you know. And, oh, hugely. I think it's a huge asset. If if everybody in this field was only involved in farming and ranching, and God bless all of them, 4-H, FFA, all those people that do it, they feed the world, and God bless them for it. If that's the only people that were involved in this industry, it would be a really boring industry. I find it fascinating when you find out what some of these people have done in prior lives and still apply to their, you know, to what they do now, you know, you think of, of, uh, Jennifer with her, her turf management and, in, in doing the grass that rolls over and how she sets up her grounds, you know, and, in maintenance and landscaping and how to make a beautiful space. And, um, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on because there's just so many people that do so many cool things, and and I've discovered a handful of them on this show. Listen, we are um, we're just over an hour now, so we're just about out of time. I'm so glad I could get you on the show, Ricky. Before we go, everyone who comes on the show does a little speed round of questions, so I'm going to ask you six quick questions, and you give me the correct answer. Oh, okay, the correct answer. Here we go. <laughs> you're going to laugh when you, when I ask the first one. You're going to be like, okay, I get it. Question number one. Corn dogs or turkey legs? Corn dogs. Correct. <laughs> if money was no issue, where's the first place you would travel after the pandemic ends? My to see my parents. I haven't seen them in a very long. Yeah, and I wouldn't even, it wouldn't even cost much. I would just go down to to Lake Havasu, and I, I, I'm dying to see them. They're dying to see their grandkid. I think you know that that's going to be the first place I go once this pandemic ends. It's good to go see my family. Also, the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> iPhone or Android? iPhone. Uh, I coffee. Apple everything. Yeah, coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take it? Uh, a little bit of cream. When the pandemic is over, what's the first concert you would want to attend if you could go to any concert? 
whoever's performing Saturday night at the Coconino County Fair, because it's bound to be a great time. There it is. Shameless self-promotion. Oh, yeah. If you, if you could have a guest role on any television show, past or present, which show would it be? Parks and Rec. Really? I, I think I would have to. I, first, I love the show. It's an amazing show. And then, it, you know, how many... There's not going to be another show about my industry. Um, Probably I, true. You know, and, and, and so I think I would have to go and represent in parks and recreation. And I'd love to play in that sandbox with uh, the great actors and uh, yeah. people who are in, in that show. Cool, man. Ricky, if folks want to reach out and get in touch with you, how can they contact you? Uh, let's see. So my email, uh, rconway at coconino.az.gov. It's kind of a mouthful. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, but I check it about once every six months, uh, but it's there. And, uh, it's better than I do. <laughs> yeah. um, I often forget that LinkedIn's a thing, but uh, it, you know, it's better. It lasted longer than Google Plus. So that's, you know, got to give them some credit. For I sure. Guess. For um, sure. Let's see. I guess that's pretty much it. Uh, if you, if you want to look, coconeocountyfair.com, uh, my email and phone number should be on there. There um, you on go. On our official website. So that's the best place probably to go. CoconinoCountyFair.com. That's C-O-C-O-N-I-N-O CountyFair.com. Ricky Conway, Fair Manager for the Coconino County Fair in Flagstaff, Arizona. Hey, buddy, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks for your time. Oh, man, thanks for having me. This is a blast. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.